0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.58 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 30th of August 2021. This is episode... 469 (laughs) (laughs) of Bitcoin, and let's just get, we got a lot of shit to cover here, so I'm just going to dive in with good news. Congratulations to at Bitcoin Smiles. If you were not aware of what was going on with at Bitcoin Smiles, it's a Twitter account for a group of people that are trying to get dental equipment and uh uh either cheap or free dentistry down to the good people of el salvador Mm -hmm. that's right well they wanted one bitcoin and it looks like they got it btc pay server at btc pay server uh, this more or actually i guess it was yesterday uh tweeted out that at bitcoin smiles the crowdfunding that aims to raise one btc to help the forgotten elderly people of el salvador has reached the goal And over 90% of the donations so far were made via the Lightning Network. (laughs) Oh, yeah, baby. 11 hours to go. Extra funds will be invested in dental equipment. Uh, Bitcoinsmiles.org is the website that you can go to if you want to uh, help make a difference in the elderly of El Salvador. And by God Almighty, people... We are going to need to make friends with Latin America probably faster than you have ever imagined in your entire life. Um, If you have not really ever thought about Latin America in the past, well, you should now, because it looks like those guys are going to be the innovators in the new Bitcoin economy. Just saying now for the bad news reddit story quote i have put all our 2.1 btc on a leveraged future for btc going to 100k and i was already envisioning the 21 btc's in profit and then btc went from touching 50k down to 47k and our whole life savings have been wiped out sadly actually even more sadly than the the, the headline. Or the lead on that story is the fact that that story from Reddit has in fact been deleted. However, what has not been deleted are some of the comments <clears throat> like, don't invest recklessly. Holy fuck, that's why I never touch leverage or futures. Also, this is why no one should touch leveraged futures. The real lesson is that you should be more conservative with long-term savings and save wild speculation and leveraged bets with play money. That shit is legit dangerous, and the average investor shouldn't touch it with a 10-meter pole. What else have we got here? I trade them with strict rules. I only gamble $100 a week in my futures account and never margin. I don't know exactly what that means, but you get the picture this dude like when i read the story when it was still up had like accumulated over the last 10 years 1.7 btc he was a whole coiner those are getting rare rare today so what does he do well he goes over to oh god was it bit i was either bitfinex or bitmex i can't remember i'm not sure bitmex is even active right now so but whatever, he found some trading platform that allowed his ass to go over 1x leverage trading on futures. Bet the whole thing instead of like what my dad used to say. He said never go all in on anything. Do it with one third of your wealth max. That way, if the worst possible thing happens, you've still got two thirds of you know either liquid you know liquidity or assets or value of some, you know, in some way, shape, fashion, form, or another. However, this dude did not and learned like the rest of them. And we've, we've seen this before. If you've been around since as long as I have, you've seen it on so many times that you can probably recite the suicide hotline number by heart and no, it's not funny, but this shit keeps happening. And it's just going to get worse as we go on through the stack today. Um, Let's see. Uh, Where are we at? Yeah. Let's try this one on for size. Speaking of like losing all your shit, Helen Parts is writing for Cointelegraph. Cream Finance DeFi platform loses $19 in a flash loan hack. Now, before I even begin this story, this is how all the DeFi hacks are occurring. There is a structural failure here, all right? This isn't happening by chance. It's not happening, oh, well, you know, uh, these certain, you know, clouds came together to produce this perfect storm. Oh, bullshit. It's a structural failure in the way all of DeFi is put together, because nobody is actually taking the time to think. They're just taking the time to try to get rich. And like this poor idiot with his futures leveraged along, um, God is at, are getting their asses handed to them. Stop it. Stop thinking that DeFi is going to make you rich. The only people that are getting rich are the people that wrote the contracts who are there then, then hacking them with a flash loan attack because they know the structure. Now, do I know for a fact that every single hack was, was done and performed by the people that wrote the contract? No, I don't. But it's a good bet because they know the internal structure of the contract. They know exactly the ins and outs. The flash loan hack is the is the hack that has done more damage to DeFi than anything else that DeFi has ever seen. I just don't trust these people that are putting together these contracts. So, beware. Let's let's look at uh, take a look at what happened here. Cream Finance, a major decentralized finance protocol focused on lending has suffered a major exploit with a hacker stealing nearly $19 million from its platform. An unknown hacker has managed to gain $18.8 million in the latest flash loan exploit of the Cream Finance Protocol through a re-entrancy bug introduced by the AMP token, according to an investigation by blockchain security firm PeckShield. Announcing the news on Monday, Cream Finance said that the protocol has stopped the exploit by pausing supply and borrow contracts on the AMP token. Quote, "No other markets were affected, Cream Finance stated. Peck Shield specified that the hacker exploited the AMP token by reborrowing assets during its transfer before updating the first to borrow in 17 separate transactions. (laughs) They hacked it 17 times, (laughs) holy shit. Providing an example transaction, the security firm stated, quote, the hacker makes a flash loan of 500 Ethereum and deposits the funds as collateral. Then the hacker borrows 19 million in AMP token and makes use of the re-entrancy bug to re-borrow 355 Ethereum inside the AMP transfer token. Then the hacker self-liquidates the borrow. The funds are still parked in oh, some address, some Ethereum address. We are actively monitoring this address for any movement, Peck Shield added, providing the hacker's address. AMP is an Ethereum-based piece of shit that is designed to collaborate and steal all your money. Oh, I'm sorry, I said payments wrong. On the digital pl- payments network, Flexa. The AMP token contract implements ERC-77-based registry smart contract known as ERC-1820. Introduced in 2019, the ERC-1820 standard defines a universal registry smart contract where any AMP address can register which interface it supports and which smart contract is responsible for its implementation." Following the attack, both the AMP token and the Cream Finance's native token, Cream, saw a notable price drop. I wonder why. With AMP plummeting nearly 13% over the past 24 hours. <clears throat> at the time of writing, AMP token is trading at 5 pennies, while the Cream token is trading at 176 bucks, down around 5% over the past 24 hours, according to data from CoinGecko. As previously reported by Cointelegraph, DeFi product Alpha Homera in February suffered a $37 million hack exploited using Cream's Iron Bank protocol-to-protocol lending platform. The latest flash loan exploit comes amid the increasing amount of hacks and exploits among both centralized and decentralized cryptocurrency platforms on August the 28th. Bilixi, a crypto exchange suffered a major hot wallet hack leading to 295 ERC-20 tokens being compromised. Liquid lost nearly $100 million in a hack that took place on August the 19th. And they are not talking about Blockstream's Liquid protocols. They're talking about Liquid, the exchange. It's a different deal. All right. <clears throat> Before I go any further... I do have to apologize for not being with you on Friday. I woke up Friday morning and I wasn't sick, but I was like, just, I was like, you know, sitting up in bed going, all right, man, it's five o'clock. Let's go do this. And my brain literally gave me the finger. It said, no, buddy, you're just exhausted. And I was, and I laid my happy ass back to sleep and then woke up like an hour two hours later. Um, I needed it. I don't know. I haven't really woken up that exhausted before or uh, in a long, long time, rather. It's been a while. Uh, you know, changes in, changes in my life are swirling around my head. That's probably has something to do with it anyway. My apologies for not doing the Friday show. Hopefully, this Friday will be different. Speaking of Bilixi, or however the hell you pronounce this scam chain or exchange, whatever it is, Helen Parts has... More to the hacking story that was mentioned in the last story, also from Cointelegraph, uh, Billixy Exchange suspends website after ERC-20 hot wallet attack. Biloxi, a lesser-known cryptocurrency exchange, has confirmed a major hacking incident reporting losses of funds due to an exploit of the platform's ERC-20 hot wallet. Galaxy announced on its Telegram channel that the crypto exchange suffered a serious hack on August the 28th between 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. UTC, resulting in the transfer of, get this, 295 different ERC tokens, or ERC20 tokens. 295 people. 295 completely different ERC tokens, or ERC20 tokens were were taken in this, whatever. According to the exchange, the affected tokens were transferred by the hacker to a single address. At the time of writing, the tokens are valued at $170,000 with the most recent transaction sending out 50 Ethereum or about $159,000 on August the 30th. Shortly after detecting abnormal hot wallet transactions, Biloxi suspended its website to take emergency measures and move hundreds of tokens from its hot wallet to cold wallets in order to secure the assets. This makes me want to cry. In a separate Telegram update, Biloxi asked its customers to stop deposits to the platform. You guys can stop trading now, please. Bilixi's website does not provide any further information other than a temporary system maintenance notice and a link to the platform's Telegram channel. Uh, yeah, you think so? You think so? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bilixi has not announced the dollar value of assets stolen by the hacker. <clears throat> Some unconfirmed reports speculated that the exchange could have lost up to $450 million. Yeah. God no shit dude. According to an update from decentralized finance protocol Hoge Hoge H O G E Hoge Finance, the attack involved a hack and transfer of up to nearly 300 cryptocurrencies including Tether, USDC, UNI, uh, and others. Hoge Finance said that nearly all 1 billion Hoge tokens or $22 million worth stored on Billexy were already drained from the exchange and sent to another wallet. Biloxi did not immediately respond to Cointelegraph's request for comment. The exchange told customers that it will collaborate with security institutions and law enforcement to provide security audits and launch an investigation. Yeah, that'll help. According to data from crypto tracking website CoinMarketCap, Biloxi was launched in 2018 and is registered in the Republic of Seychelles. At the time of writing, the exchange's Twitter account has had up to 200, or, sorry, 25,000 followers. The news comes as the liquid exchange gradually recovers from a nearly $100 million hack that took place in mid-August. On August the 29th, liquid resumed deposits and withdrawals for several cryptocurrencies, including ERC-20s and Stellar-based USDC, DAI, and G-Y-E-N. Jesus. See, and you're, you're thinking... At this point, that you know, thank God he's finished with all of that. No, I'm not. believe beleaguered DeFi project X token suffers a second major exploit since May. Martin Young has it for Coin Telegraph. The decentralized finance project X token has suffered another exploit over the weekend after hackers discovered a vulnerability in the smart contract for the XSNX product. On August the 29th, Xtoken team reported that the attack had resulted in roughly $4.5 million worth of funds being drained from Xtoken's XSNX product, which allows users to gain exposure to synthetics-based assets without directly interacting with the protocol's complex smart contracts. Uh, here's the announcement from Xtoken. It's a tweet. Our XSNX contract was exploited. Our other contracts do not have similar vulnerabilities. Every day going forward from here, we'll be focused on rebuilding trust with our community. We're assessing the situation and we'll update with the next steps coming in hours. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, frickin' frauds. The project published a post-mortem a few hours later explaining that the malicious actor had taken out, guess what? a flash loan from the DYDX decentralized exchange for 25,000 Ethereum to carry out the attack. Then, or rather, they then used the Ethereum as collateral to borrow 1.5 million synthetics governance tokens using popular DeFi money, market protocol Aave, and pooled liquidity token exchange Bancor. These were swapped for 6.5 million USDC on decentralized exchange Kyber exerting downward pressure on the price of SNX. The attacker then swapped the USDC for Synthetics USD token or the sUSD before exploiting a flaw in the X token's contract to purchase 614,000 SNX at an artificially depressed price uh, or for 811 sUSD at current prices. The hacker made off with 7 million dollars worth of SNX. In response to the latest attack, Xtoken has announced it will retire the XSNX product, stating, quote, the current XSNX implementation is by far our most complicated product with complex dependencies and significant surface area for vulnerabilities. You know who's behind Bitcoin? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, X-Token allows users to hold interest-bearing derivatives of crypto assets like Aave and SNX that require holders to participate in staking, governance, and other protocol interaction in order to receive yield. The incident is not the first time X-Token has been exploited this year, in May. That's right, people. May of this year, the protocol suffered a similar fate when a malicious actor manipulated the Kyber DEX, which also simultaneously taking advantage of X-Token price calculations. The breach cost the protocol around $25 million in SNX tokens at that time. Moving forward, the X-Token team stated it will spend the coming weeks working to calculate investor losses and structure a a compensation program based on using its native token, XTK. At the time of writing, XTK has dumped 45% over the past 24 hours, according to CoinGecko, and is down more than 90% from its April all-time high, which preceded the very first exploit. People, when do we learn? How often does this have to happen before the entire experiment that is DeFi on Ethereum and is complicated internal workings bullshit is left on the side of the road like so many pieces of garbage? Do we have to continuously do this? Do we have to actually watch people lose life savings? It's bad enough. It's bad enough that you can go do leverage longs on something that's you know more ethical like bitcoin but this this is this is like so much plumbing that every drain it's it it's amazing that every single drain in this system isn't just stopped up with with you know cat hair and old soap and shit like that like drains are wont to do i don't know how i don't know how to impart this the importance of what i'm saying here Enough. I, I just can't. I, I, I'm not equipped. I'm not the best speaker in the world. And I, I am not that articulate. And I just, I need to find somebody who can just write a single sentence as to why all this shit is purpose built to make sure that you, you remain poor for the rest of your life. There, you have no business interacting with any of this crap. It, anybody, I mean, even professional investors, who have been doing it in legacy for years, have absolutely no business looking at this shit, much less it trying to interact with it. It has one design. It's designed to get you poor. Please stop having fun being poor. I don't know how else to tell it to you. Now, in case you uh, were wondering, uh, I was not at BitBlockBoom this year. I had a ticket. I was gonna go, so let's go through the story again. Uh, we have a my wife and I have a friend who uh, you know is in the area, has like a, a kid in you know a kid in kindergarten, and she was in her third trimester in the Texas heat, and it's Texas heat is something you better take seriously, especially if you're in your third trimester. This is nothing to laugh at, because you know, that shit can overheat your ass real quick. anyway, they're dirt poor their car kept breaking down or her car kept breaking down and it's doing it with a you know a woman who's in her third trimester with a kindergartner can't have it can't have it we had a second car that we weren't using a lot of but it was an old Honda and Hondas <laughs> run real well You know, no, it's not made in America, but they do run very well. This one runs, runs very well. It's an older car. The paint was, you know, kind of fading out a little bit, but the engine was good. Tranny was good. Um, All that shit was good. So we just gave it to her. And this alleviated a lot of, a lot of issues, but it caused an issue. The fact that we no longer had a second car meant that I was going to have to take the only car because I am not going to fly. I just refuse. It's just a goddamn clown show all the time over there. So I'm not even going to consider it. So my only option was to drive to Dallas. And the only option we had left after giving homegirl the car was one car, which meant that my kids and my wife would be stranded at the house without a car over a weekend. Probably also not the best idea in the world. So I raffled off my BitBlock Boom ticket. Congratulations to at Aware MOMA. A-W-A-R-E-M-O-M-A, who says, I enjoyed Bitblock Boom so, so much, met many cool people, learned a lot, definitely good experience. Thank you, at B-E-N-N-D-7-7, infinity symbol. Um, yes, I, I did. I was able to get a hold of Gary Leland and he allowed me to transfer the ownership of my ticket to Paloma, which is her name, but she goes by Aware Mama on um, on Twitter. So, She's new pleb, uh, newly birthed. I am responsible for the birthing of a pleb. I feel, I feel honored, honestly, um, and I'm glad that her first experience, <clears throat> or her, you know, I'm thinking this is probably her first. Um, like, oh, what am I trying to say? Conference experience. I'm very, very happy that it was Bitblock Boom, and you know, not something, you know, because Bitblock Boom, for those of you who don't know, is a great experience. Why? Because it's smaller, and it's also populated with probably some of the most hardcore Bitcoiners you're ever going to run across. There's not a single person that I met last year at Bitblock Boom 2020 uh, that um, that even talked about any kind of shitcoin whatsoever. And you don't find that even at Bitcoin magazine's uh, Bitcoin conference. You had a lot of people on stage, and they were taught somehow or another they. Bitcoin Magazine tried, but as is want, uh, people are going to talk about their favorite shitcoin protocol once they get the stage, because what are you going to do? You know, manhandle them off the stage? No. Although they did manhandle a kid that was wearing some kind of, I don't know, some kind of DeFi protocol shirt or something, if I remember correctly, but he wasn't on the stage. Actually, no, he was. He did get on stage. And then he ripped off his coat to reveal a shirt that said something like, Ethereum all the way or something. I don't know. Any, anyway, but for the most part, um, w- what you'll find is that Bitcoin Magazine did a pretty good job uh, trying to guard against that, but it's such a big conference that you're not going to keep the audience the way that uh, Gary Leland from Bitblock Boom is able to keep his audience pretty much hardcore Bitcoiners. If you're going to go, get your tickets early. And uh, that's all I got to say other than congratulations to Aware MoMA. Glad you were able to put my ticket to good use. She is also, uh, from what I understand, she's also of the Latin American persuasion. And I don't know if that means that she lives in Latin America or she's from there or something like that. I think she's actually, she actually lives down uh, either in Central or South America. I'm not sure which country, and even if I did, I wouldn't say it because I don't want to dox anybody, but this leads us to Bitcoin will take El Salvador into the future. Now, this is probably going to be a long one. Wait a minute. Hold on. Let's see how long this one is. Uh, I think we may be able to do it. Okay. Yep. I just wanted to make sure I'm coming up on 30 minutes, so let's see what we can do here. This is written by, who wrote this thing? Oh, Bob Burnett for Bitcoin Magazine. After a June visit in Washington, D.C. with Madam Ambassador Mayoraga of El Salvador, I was invited to a follow-up trip to El Salvador in August. My wife Lola and I ventured down and spent five days exploring the country and new business opportunities. What follows are observations from the trip. El Salvador is much closer to the U.S. than most people realize. Since we live in South Florida, we were able to take a direct flight of about three hours from Miami to San Salvador. The government was generous to us. We were ushered directly from the plane to a special reception area. Our immigration paperwork was processed and our bags were collected for us. I must admit the service level was fantastic and and a foreshadowing of the treatment we received throughout our trip. El Salvadorians are rightly proud of their hospitality. In my 35-year professional career, I've spent a great deal of time traveling internationally, and a fair amount of this has been in the developing world. I've seen some horrendous conditions and heart-wrenching abject poverty. Media coverage of El Salvador has focused on things like El Salvadoran refugees to the U.S. southern border, seeking a better future, MS-13 gangs terrorizing the population, the scars of the Civil War in the 80s and 90s, I can't say that these things aren't, <clears throat> aren't at least partially true, but I can say that in the greater San Salvador metro area, we saw no evidence of them. Lola and I took trips of our own into some neighboring neighboring provincial areas, and we also saw no evidence of these things there either. There is certainly some poverty in El Salvador. One major On major routes into and out of San Salvador, plenty of folks struggling to make ends meet are selling fruits, nuts, and treats on the roadside. A percentage of the population is living in shanty type housing in some district, but the infrastructure of the country is much more developed than I'd expected, and there is a lot of construction underway. Cell service is widely available, often, through, uh, often 3G. Internet is prevalent, quick and speedy. San Salvador is very clean, and waste management is running well. Traffic flows well, and the vehicles on the road are in good condition and safe. A very pleasant surprise was that San Salvador had a very advanced network of restaurants, bars, and shops. This wasn't just in one upper-class district in San Salvador, but across the entire metro area. The businesses were well-run and diverse. Prices were fair, similar to the U.S., but a little more expensive than I would have expected. In the 90s, I spent a lot of time in Taiwan over the course of that decade, the country transformed itself from a developing country into a developed country. San Salvador feels like Taiwan did in the middle of that transformation. El Salvador is a country on the climb. The people feel it too. While they may not have everything that people in first world countries have, they are not sulking about what they don't have. They simply look forward to the future. In 2000, the US introduced the Sacagawea dollar in an attempt to increase the use of coins in commercial ventures. By the end of the decade, it had flopped and it disappeared into obscurity. Well, if you ever wondered where all those dollar coins went, El Salvador is the answer. No shit. The first time I had bought something using U.S. dollars and received change, I had to look twice at what I'd received. I mention this because the truth is that as things sit, El Salvador is very heavily a U.S. dollar economy. Prices throughout the regions we visited were displayed exclusively in dollars. A very small number of business establishments even advertised that they accepted Bitcoin. Admittedly, I was a bit disappointed by this, but there is good news. Bitcoin Beach, while being quite small, is very, very real. The shops and street vendors are well-versed and comfortable with Bitcoin. You can buy soda, ice cream, artisan soups, t-shirts, coffee and jewelry with Bitcoin or dollars. The vendors don't care which you use and if you choose Bitcoin, they are comfortable in how to do the transaction. If it can happen here, then it can happen in San Salvador. And if it can happen in San Salvador, then it can happen anywhere in the world. Outside of Bitcoin Beach, the people of El Salvador are largely excited about Bitcoin, although their knowledge level is low and this causes trepidation. This is perfectly understandable because Bitcoin me- meant nothing to most of the people 10 weeks ago. But their desire to learn about it is strong and there is a realization that this is a major inflection point in the future of El Salvador. As we traveled throughout the country and people found out that we ran businesses in the Bitcoin mining space, they peppered us with question. Saul and Romero, our drivers, Jorge, the boutique hotel owner, Mario from the reptile farm, Benjamin, the attorney, Napo from the t-shirt factory, plus many more people were sponges soaking up any knowledge that we could impart. But the most interesting and exciting part of the whole trip occurred when we were invited to a little gathering in the home of a new friend on our last day in El Salvador, There were several kids there in their early teens, just as they were about to head out for a boat ride. One member of the group named Sarah approached me and asked if Bitcoin was a good thing for El Salvador. Not wanting to give her a long, drawn-out answer involving Austrian economics, geopolitics, and the importance of hard money, I told her, yes, it was very good for El Salvador, and that she should be excited and proud of the bold and courageous move her country was making. I figured that would be the end of it, and she'd want to get on the boat ride. Well, it turns out I vastly underestimated Sarah. Within a few minutes, not only Sarah, but a whole cast of El Salvadoran youth was drilling me on Bitcoin. The boat ride was put on hold, and we spent the next hour going deep as we traversed inflation, monetary policy, global reserve currencies, the separation of government from money, and the mechanics of Bitcoin. These kids are smart. They're motivated, and they will make a difference in the world. They are not infected with preconceived establishment bullshit rhetoric, and they will not accept anything without fully challenging it. The country is led by President Naeem Bukele, who is forward-looking and action-oriented. I met with several members of his administration, including members of the Bitcoin implementation team, and I can tell you that President Bukele has not surrounded himself with a bunch of bureaucrats, but instead has assembled youthful, aggressive and an innovative team. They operate more like a company getting ready for an IPO than a government. I can't help but shake my head when contrasting the quality of El Salvador's team and their ability to execute with the fiasco in the United States Senate over the cryptocurrency portion of the infrastructure bill. While El Salvador is surging with a monetary revolution, the U.S. cannot even get agreement on a few sentences of cryptocurrency legislation because an 87-year-old senator in his sixth term can block the will of 99 other senators. As Lola and I now reflect on our trip, we are hit with the stark realization that we were standing at ground zero of a revolution. Certainly, the leadership of President Bukele and the technology of Jack Mallers have played a big role in El Salvador's Bitcoin movement, but the true energy to see it through will come from the masses and the youth that see a path to a better tomorrow. They're on board and they will make it happen. Let's run the numbers. CNBC.com futures and commodities showing West Texas intermediate oil at a 0.43% drop to $68.44 for a barrel. Brent North Sea only dropping 0.04%. That's $72.67 for Brent North Sea. Natural gas, likewise, a one, oh sorry, a half percent drop, but we're talking about $4.36 per thousand cubic feet. That's one of the higher prices over the last couple of years, guys. Gasoline up to, God, $2.31 uh, dollars per gallon. That is almost a 2% increase, 1.83%. Gold finally topping above $1,800 to 18, 18 and 60 cents. That is a 0.05% drop on the day. Uh, Silver is up a third, $24.2. Platinum is down 0.13. Copper is up 0.69. And palladium, uh, swinging for the fences, at 1.22% to the upside. Agricultural futures are mixed, mostly down or unchanged. Wheat, however, has seen a a three-quarters of a percent increase. Let's see. Indices. Dow futures up 0.04%. s and p futures up 0.08%. NASDAQ futures up 0.11%. And the S&P mini up 0.05%. So meh. I guess we have to wait for trading for the real action to start. Futures on the indices haven't really told me dick in months, man. But let's talk about real money. Forty-seven thousand eight hundred and seventy-four dollars and forty six cents is the price of the corn. Two hundred and twelve thousand transactions performed in the last twenty-four hours is about eighty eight hundred transactions on eighty eight hundred transactions on average per hour. But approaching two million BTC being sent in the 24 hour period. Hadn't seen that in a while. The average uh, cent per hour is 80,500 BTC. The average transaction value is 9.1 BTC. The median transaction value is low, 0.013 BTC, or 615 bucks. Block time is exactly 10 minutes, according to BitInfoCharts.com. Let's see, we've got 0.06 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and sub 10 BTC, 9.5 BTC being taken in fees over the last 24 hour period. With a 2.5% increase in hash rate, we are hitting 131.8 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge at sub 30 cents. 0.279 0.279 United States dollars or 27.9 pennies. That's all you gotta know about that. Clark Moody has is showing 1,600 transactions waiting on three blocks to clear. $896.9 billion is the market capitalization and that is seven and a half percent of gold's entire market cap you can get 26.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one bitcoin of which there are 18 million eight hundred and one thousand five hundred and forty seven point seven five btc 2,371 of those are in the Lightning Network, which has a capacity value of $113.1 million, being run over 14,749 nodes, representing 67,346 channels. 73.9% of the Lightning Network is now run over Tor. That is 1,752.97 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, being run over 9,000. 424 nodes that we know about, and the uh, price that Clark Moody is showing for Bitcoin is 47735 That's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We're going to continue on with El Salvador News K1 the first Bitcoin ATM designed and built in El Salvador. Um, Alex McShane is gonna tell us about it from Bitcoin Magazine. Edgar Borja, CEO of Kiosk K1, has created the first Bitcoin ATM designed and built in El Salvador. The K1 can act as a host for Bitcoin wallet platforms such as Strike. The machine is fully Strike payment enabled. The kiosk can accept your payments in bills and send Bitcoin to a user's Strike wallet. Strike is the most popular Bitcoin payment platform in El Salvador and was instrumental in liberating El Salvador from dollars through legalizing Bitcoin as currency. Users of the K1 can also sell Bitcoin on the machine to receive cash. The ATM sends users a text message as a one-time password as a means of authenticating the sender or the recipient of the Bitcoin or dollars. Among its prominent features are an advertisement screen, a touch screen, two security cameras, and an an administrative dashboard. K1 is made in El Salvador, and its ability to host multiple Bitcoin-enabled platforms means that the machine is tailored uh, to to meet the needs of each customer or location where it is installed. The K1 can function as a Bitcoin cashier, service payment point, bank terminal, and more. So far, Edgar Borgia has sold one K-1 ATM. According to the K-1 website, the cost of the machine is $15,000. The monthly maintenance is $250, bucks, but unlike a human cashier, the K-1 can operate 24-7 and the automated cashier can recuperate 100% of the initial cost in 15 months. But Edgar plans to turn the country of El Salvador into an ATM manufacturer through K-1 and soon bring the devices to a high-end device exporter. Until then, he is already working on small, personalized devices for buying and selling, sending and receiving Bitcoin. So yeah, I know, it's only one Bitcoin ATM that's been sold so far, but dude, it was designed and built in El Salvador. Nobody nobody was like, <clears throat> I know, we're going to take our technology whose parts were you know, assembled in, I don't know, Canada and then, you know, it's by a United States company and then we're going to export it down to El Salvador and call it El Salvador's first Bitcoin ATM. There's just something that's not really romantic about that shit. What is romantic is this one guy building what looks to be, a. it's got a picture of it. It's pretty slick. Uh, It's Spartan, but it has every major thing you need. It's got a, you know, like it's just a nice white box with two touchscreens, it's got a card reader, it's got you know a place to accept bills, it's got a place to accept coins, it's got a cash dispensary it's it's nice it's nice, good, nice design, man nice clean that's what I like. I like user experience that isn't all messy and shit like that and this is this kiosk is definitely not messy. Congratulations, Edgar. Now continuing with <clears throat> Latin America. Cuba set to recognize bitcoin as a payment method thomas m has this one for the btc times cuba is set to recognize and regulate bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as means of payment this is detailed in a ministry of justice resolution published on thursday the resolution is signed by the central bank's minister president Mart- marta sabina wilson gonzalez the document, which was published in the official Gazette, details that the central bank will provide a framework to determine how to license financial service providers for the facilitation of cryptocurrency transactions. The central bank can further authorize Bitcoin transactions for reasons of socio economic interest while maintaining state control of its operations. Cuba's President Miguel Diaz Canal reportedly already considered the use of cryptocurrencies back in May, citing the convenience of their use as part of their country's economy. The Central American nation has been hit with a number of US restrictions in recent years. Only in July of this year, President Biden ordered a review of Trump era policies that restrict the options for US-Cuba remittances. Remittances to Cuba are estimated to be around two to $3 billion a year. The global remittance sector has shown a rapidly growing interest in Bitcoin and stablecoins like USDT as they provide a considerably cheaper and faster option for overseas workers to send money home to their families when compared to lending remittance services providers like Western Union. Cuba is somewhat following in the footsteps of El Salvador with its latest move. Although it falls short of recognizing Bitcoin as legal tender, the resolution clarifies that the monetary unit of the Republic of Cuba is the Cuban peso and that banknotes and metallic coins issued by the Central Bank of Cuba are the only ones that have legal tender status. Bitcoin has gained popularity in Cuba among citizens looking to move their savings out of the country's weak currency, a growing number of people already use Bitcoin and uh, other cryptocurrencies for payments or to receive their salary data released by TradingView earlier this year indicated that more than half of all inquiries on the platform from within Cuba were cryptocurrency-related. Cuba's next. I guarantee it. <clears throat> I, I, I would not have expected this. I was thinking it was going to be uh, Argentina or Venezuela or something like that, but I, it looks to me like Cuba's actually moved farther and faster than any of the other uh latin american countries obviously save for el salvador because dude t minus eight days before they uh unleash the beast in that country still though good to see however what's odd about this cuba thing is that i'm hearing reports that although a bunch of cubans already use bitcoin And a bunch more Cubans are already interested in Bitcoin. And even more Cubans are becoming interested in Bitcoin. There's a lot of them that still uh, basically say, you know, wave the communist flag, literally like rah, rah, communism. Yay, yay, yay. This brings up a really weird dynamic, honestly. Uh, What is it that they see in Bitcoin that is communistic? Because I don't. I don't see anything in, in Bitcoin that even remotely resembles, you know, straight up, you know, traditional legacy commie bastard bullshit, right? It's interesting. Yeah, I think it's actually worth an investigation on. Why on earth would somebody who w- allows their country to be destroyed time and time again by the crap that communism brings to the shores of any country would be interested in something like Bitcoin? It's just, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of weird, but anyway, that's, gonna, that's pretty much going to do it for the Latin American news finally. But I think it's important to state, you know, or to realize I read three stories today about Latin America and Bitcoin. If you do not, if you are not looking at and figuring out a way to be part of the Latin American Bitcoin movement, I don't know what to tell you. And by the way, that does not mean go down there and enslave people, okay? Please, fucking stop. If you're gonna go down there and be a part, if you want to quote unquote help, then actually help. Don't figure out a way to pay somebody a dollar a day to do some kind of bullshit work that you don't wanna do because they're fucking desperate and you're not, but you know they're desperate so you can just basically turn them into indentured servants. How about this? How about, how about we go down there and stop being assholes and pricks? That might help. I'm serious. There's a, like, there, I cannot tell you how many stories I know and not even just of, of people going down to like, or Americans going abroad to other countries and people just like, you know, pointing at us and laughing. And it's not because America sucks. America does not suck. One of the greatest countries on the face of this planet, except that our federal government is a problem and has been for decades. But more or less, America is pretty much the greatest country on the face of the planet. However, as of late, when we go to other places, they don't much like us because I don't know, I think maybe maybe it's because Americans are rude. I don't know. But one thing is for sure, when we go down to, to South America and Central America to start, like, I don't know, becoming interested in what's going on down there, go down there and respect the fact that they're not going to speak English. They, a lot of them do, by the way, so don't worry about it. But still, don't disrespect their language. Don't disrespect their customs. Don't disrespect the food. Don't disrespect the people. If you can do those four things, the chances are really good that something wonderful will fall out in your life for engaging with Latin America. And moving forward, we're going to have to. We are going to have to because Latin, American, Latin, Latin America is about to explode. And it's about to explode in probably one of the most beautiful blossoming events that the world has seen in over 400 years. So keep your eyes on Latin America, try to figure out how to go down there and not be a dick, all right? So did Bitcoin Twitter handle change hands? I don't know, and I don't even know if it's important. I don't give a shit, but it's something that I wanted to drop in here. Thomas M. has it for BTC Times. Observers on Twitter have pointed out that the at Bitcoin handle may have changed hands and not everybody's happy with that. Well, well, duh. Twitter is one of the main assembly points for Bitcoiners online, and the Bitcoin account has had its fair share of attention over time. While the account owner is not known, the handle has allegedly been used by Roger Ver for several years to promote his bullshit Bitcoin fork, BCH. Ver never confirmed the assumptions, nor did he deny them, leaving many believing he or a team connected with him were behind the BCH-related posts. Consequently, Ver drew... Heavy criticism from the Bitcoin space for his alleged attempts to generate confusion between BTC and BCH, a pattern also visible in the BCH branded site Bitcoin.com that has Bitcoiners worried newcomers may mistakenly buy BCH thinking that they are buying BTC. And, and by the way, that's happened a lot. And Ver's responsible for that shit directly. In 2019, some Twitter user, po- users pointed out that the past BCH-related content had been removed from the Bitcoin account. Shortly after, it drastically changed its tune, making clear to its followers that it was no longer being operated by a BCH Advocates. While theories kept circulating, it is not known to this date who took over the handle. Some believed Ver had only rented it from the original owner who had eventually taken back control over the account. Since the change in content, the handle has grown from about 1 million to over 3 million followers at the time of writing. On Thursday, however, new rumors began to spread as the Bitcoin account posted an image showing two gold coins. One branded with the Bitcoin logo and one with the Binance logo. The post caused confusion among the account's followers, with some concluding that the account must have changed hands yet again. The reactions were mixed, with some users voicing concerns that the handle may be used to promote digital currencies other than Bitcoin too. Twitter user Dennis, Dennis Parker commented, quote, Twitter account at Bitcoin has been bought by shitcoin casino Binance. Act accordingly, end quote. It is not clear whoever or <clears throat> it is not clear, however, who controls the account and at press time, no other posts hint at any involvement from binance's side. So, yeah, okay, so w- why bring it up? I haven't followed at Bitcoin in in literally, literally years. i after that whole bch shit, and then it turned back over to a regular bitcoin account you know uh, posting bitcoin stuff i was like going you know this thing is changing hands uh to the point that i i have no idea who's actually going to be running the account therefore i can't trust it however i haven't seen any negative effects by not following at bitcoin it doesn't really honestly i i'm bored with the account and the whole Bitcoin.com thing, which is Roger Ver's outfit promoting his bullshit BCH fork. Do you go to internet.com to find out about the internet? No, you do not. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't be worried? Yeah, it actually means we shouldn't be fucking worried. Although you should probably keep an eye on, on things. But still, I I don't give a flying rat's ass about Bitcoin.com or at Bitcoin Twitter account or at Bitcoin Instagram or at Bitcoin anything, or I just don't care. If you want to know how to get into Bitcoin, where good information is, you got to hang out with the plebs. The plebs will come to you if you at least tweet stuff that, you know, isn't shitcoin related. If you try and say, like, make, you know, overtures to the Bitcoin crew on Bitcoin Twitter that you are interested in learning about Bitcoin and only Bitcoin, the, the plebs will come. The second that you say that you're also interested in Binance coin or some other bullshit, right, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll leave actually not buy i'm not worried about and BN, B or whatever binance is just an exchange I'm, but like you know defi coins and sushi swap and you know renting out pineapples with fucking radish coin and all that shit no uh, you're the plebs that will flock to you to try to you know show you the ropes will leave you really really quick so just be aware but screw at bitcoin and their twitter account i don't care anymore squares jack dorsey plans to build decentralized bitcoin exchange now this is <clears throat> was known uh, on Friday, which is the day that I didn't do a show. So if I'm going over something that you know you've already heard, feel free to fast forward. Square and Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey tweeted on Friday that TBD payment giant Square's new division focused on creating an open developer platform is planning to build a decentralized Bitcoin exchange. Quote, help us build an open platform to create a decentralized exchange for Bitcoin, Dorsey tweeted. Mike Brock, who was named the lead to, sorry, who was named to lead the initiative, tweeted separately that this is the problem we're going to solve. Make it easy to fund a non-custodial wallet anywhere in the world through a platform to build on and off ramps into Bitcoin you can think about this as a decentralized exchange for fiat, end quote. Quote, we'd love this to be Bitcoin native, top to bottom, Brock wrote. He also noted that the platform would be entirely developed in public, open sourced, and open protocoled, and that any wallet should be able to use it. Brock noted gaps around cost and scalability and that TBD, Needed a solve a, for exchange infrastructure between digital assets like stablecoins. In July, Dorsey wrote in a series of tweets that Square would launch a new business to make it easier to offer non-custodial decentralized financial services. So Jack Dorsey is getting in the decentralized uh, decentralized exchange shit. But my question is, instead of going that route, why not just make a couple of serious grants to Hoddle Hoddle? Help them build out their infrastructure and then see if they were interested in like, you know, selling a piece of the equity of the company. If that was even possible, of course, you know, probably not a good idea to do that because that means you're going to have to have SEC filings and offices and phone numbers and mailing addresses and desks to sit out behind doors that can be knocked on by people in sunglasses and weird things hanging out of their ear uh, yeah, probably not a good idea. I, I'm, what I'm saying is, why do we need this? I mean, I like Jack. And you know, I guess, you know, another decentralized exchange can't hurt. But it'd be nice to see him actually, you know, help the guys over at uh, Hoddle which have been doing this shit for years. And then there's BISC. Which has been doing decentralized exchange stuff for Bitcoin and have been good Bitcoiners for years. So, you know, at least give them some grants to help their ass out. They could probably use it. And I'm just saying, bro. Uh, Ethereum faces chain split as node operators fail to update a Geth hotfix. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, clowns and non clowns, welcome to the goddamn circus. We've had a chain split in Ethereum yet one more time, and it was unintended and it was pretty bad. Um, Christine Kim and Andrew Thurman are going to write this one for Coindesk. Ethereum is experiencing a chain split due to a number of network validators called nodes failing to upgrade their software. On August the 24th, The developer team behind the popular Ethereum software client, Geth, released an emergency hotfix to a security vulnerability in its code that would have prevented certain users from producing blocks. The Go Ethereum team had disclosed a vulnerability on August 18th, saying that they would release a patch, but did not specify the nature of the vulnerability. Quote, the exact attack vector will be provided at a later date to give node operators and dependent downstream projects time to update their nodes and software. However, it would seem some users identified the exploit that was hotfixed by the Geth team and are currently exploiting older versions of the Geth software. Though the Geth team emphasized that all users should upgrade their software immediately, only about 30% of users have upgraded to the latest version, according to data from ethernodes.org. As background, Geth is the most relied upon software to connect to the Ethereum blockchain, being run by roughly 75% of the users. In an interview with Coindesk, Go Ethereum developer Marius van der Wiegen, <laughs> who noted he was speaking in a personal capacity and not as a representative of the Ethereum Foundation or Go Ethereum said that after the disclosure, an exploit was inevitable. Quote, I knew that someone would eventually find the bug. I just hoped that more people would have updated in time. End quote. Whee. He called on node operators to follow client teams on social media channels for updates and noted that he'd be pushing for an open mailing list for distributing critical information. Ultimately, however, he felt the team responded swiftly and appropriately to the vulnerability. Quote, I feel pretty good about our response. <laughs> really? You, you do? You, you feel good about your response, eh? I said, oh Lord Jesus, it's a fire. Uh, once we were alerted at the potential chain split we found the offending transaction in a matter of minutes, he said. He confirmed to Coindesk that a particular Ethereum address was the cause of the attack, but declined to explain the nature of the exploit because uh, it has already been replicated on Binance Smart Chain and Polygon. He noted that software uh, security expert Guido Vrankin was first to discover the bug, having found it during an audit of Telos's virtual machine using a technique called fuzzing. This is not the first time Ethereum has experienced a chain split due to users running outdated versions of Geth. In November, the Ethereum network saw a similar disturbance after users failed to upgrade to the latest Geth release, version 1.10.x. At the time, Geth developers said the event was due to a lack of communication about the urgency of the upgrade. This time around, Geth developer <clears throat> whatever, I can't pronounce his name. Emphasized that the team would do things differently by openly communicating with the public about the security vulnerabilities of the older client version. Quote, last time we did a hotfix, people were angry that we didn't announce it. This time we tried we decided to try it differently. Let's see which one works better. End quote. Likewise, the official Go Ethereum Twitter channel noted that this vulnerability was patched and urged users to upgrade their clients. It seems neither has worked in preventing a chain split on Ethereum. That's because it's a fucking clown show. Ethereum community leaders such as developer Andre Kanje have since called on users to stay away from doing transactions for a while. Go for a walk outside. We all need it. That's a direct quote. That's his, oh Jesus. That's Andre's solution to this. Stop doing transactions and take a walk. Man, I need to transfer this billion dollars, otherwise this contract, I'm, I'm gonna be liable in, 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 for breach of contract, and I really don't want that. But Andre said to take a walk, so fuck it. I guess the judge will be okay with it. See how stupid this entire thing is? Geth developers are actively communicating with users through a Discord channel. To urge more users to upgrade their software, the chain split is likely to resolve itself as more users upgrade to the newest client or the newest Geth version. Part of the chain split was attributable to a handful of powerful miners continuing to use the faulty Go client, including Flexpool, BTC.com, and Binance. According to Ethereum Foundation developer Tim Biko, Developers had managed to contact both BTC.com and Binance as of 1 p.m. today. However, as another Geth developer pointed out, the majority of miners were operating the patch client at the time of the exploit, and the majority of the hash power continued to operate on the canonical chain. Ethereum is currently operating normally. No, it's not operating normally, because at any given fucking time, this shit happens. And you never know when it's going to happen. This does not happen in Bitcoin. Bitcoin. God, you know, that's going to do it for the morning round dad. Monday cannot end without a dad says joke. When I moved into my new igloo, my friends threw me a housewarming party. Now I'm homeless. Yeah. Get it? They melted his igloo. What a bitch. Sounds like a holding to shit coins to me. Anyway, all right. So Monday, uh, if you want to help me with the show, uh, it's always, always, always nice when I get five-star reviews on Apple, iTunes uh, for this podcast telling people about it, retweeting my, you know, show announcements and all that kind of stuff also really helped. I know maybe, maybe it doesn't seem like it helps to you, but it, it really does. I'm the one looking at the metrics and I, I can guarantee you it, it helps. So when I like tweet out today's show announcement, if you'd retweet it, that would be awesome. Also, you can send me sats for every syllable I speak, every second of the show by using Breeze Wallet, B R E E Z. No, they're not a sponsor, but I have a vested interest in making sure that people use the Breeze Wallet because it's one of the podcasting 2.0 apps that allow you to do the following listen to Bitcoin and stream me sats. You see what I'm doing there with the Bitcoin and dot dot, oh, whatever. Anyway, it got the, the lightning uh, stuff, all you got to do is get the Breeze Wallet. Look at the podcasting uh, section. It's like a little microphone tab inside the wallet. You search for Bitcoin and you start listening to the shows. You set the slider to like three sats per minute. And every single minute that you're listening to the show, boom, three sats is micropayment hit my lightning node. No, not my blue wallet, not my moon wallet, not some other lightning wallet wallet. No, the wallet that is held by my lightning node which is inside or not inside, but is parallel to my Bitcoin full node because you need a Bitcoin full node to be able to run a full Lightning node. It's all in mynodebtc. That's at mynodebtc. If you want to start running your own full node, and I highly recommend that everybody listening to this show start running your own node. I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett.